Sober in the city, real life, real addiction, real recovery. Call in now from all over the USA, 1-800-SOBER-05. Welcome back. Here's your on-air sponsor, Debbie Strand. This is Sober in the City, brought to you by Believe Treatment Center. Believe Treatment Center understands and treats all forms of addiction. Call now, 1-855-874-2354, or visit believetreatmentcenter.com. Advisors are standing by to tell you how they can help and how your insurance can pay for it. I'm Debbie Strand with Sober in the City, here to tell you about how I got sober and how I'm maintaining my sobriety one day at a time. We're also talking about life issues. We all have them. Whether you're in recovery, want to be, maybe you should be, or maybe you're dealing with a handicapped child every day. We all have life issues, and we all still deal with this life one day at a time. Call us, 800-SOBER-05. Tell me what's going on with you, how you're staying sober. Maybe you didn't stay sober through the weekend. Call me, 800-SOBER-05, and visit us at SoberInTheCity.com. Listen live to the Sober in the City app for both Apple and Android devices. And if you or someone you know needs to get into detox, rehab, needs an intervention, call me, 800-SOBER-05. I am here to help. We're going to talk about grief and relapse. What grieving have you tried to avoid by getting drunk and high? How has that worked out for you? And what could we have done better? I always share I always share about when I was in addiction. I had a fiance pass away of a drug overdose. And for as hard as I screamed out in pain, as hard as I cried, the majority of the time over the next year and a half, I was trying to stay as high as I possibly could in order to not feel the pain. When I would wake up, I would forget for that split second, just for the split second that he was dead. And then I would realize it. And I would go through that pain all over again as if it had just happened. And this was happening to me over and over. And what I had to do was just keep numbing it out over and over again because that was the only skills that I had. Until the thought of continuing to do that day after day became more frightening than getting sober. I had no idea what that would look like. And there were many things that I would end up grieving. But this is all I could see at the time. All I knew was that I could no longer go on the way that I was going. No matter what the other side looked like, I had to have it. So in recovery, I've learned to deal with grieving differently. And that's what I want the callers to talk about today. I had a message on Facebook when I posted the topic about grieving and relapse. There was a young gentleman, him and his girlfriend, the girlfriend's sister had passed away. And then Sunday dinner, her husband didn't show up. They went to the house to go check on the husband and he had killed himself. So this couple together in recovery is walking through this and trying to stay sober and trying to support each other. So it's just some really tough stuff to deal with. And I wanted to put this show together to help them, to help other people. I can't tell you how many times I'm posting over this past week. I'm sorry for your loss. I'm sorry for your loss. It's just been the most incredible week of people passing away. And I 
I, I think it's just perfect timing for this show. So we're going to go to the callers. I've got Mark in Abilene, Texas. Mark, welcome to Sober in the City. Hey, good to be here, Debbie. Thanks, good to Mark. Hear your voice. Thank you. You too. We're sharing about grief and relapse. Um, ideally, grief and not relapsing. Do you have some experience with this? Yes, ma'am, I do. Um, grief. I just lost my dad this past September, and I'll jump before that. My grandfather he passed away in 1981 when I was. Um, still out there not living well at all and I love what you said earlier um, you know I'd, um, I never went and saw him in the hospital Debbie because I, th- I thought everything would be alright and then it would pick up the way it was before he went in the hospital and um, he didn't make it in fact he, he left us just in days and so I felt guilty I, I didn't want to feel the pain and um, I, I, I stayed as high as I could and then in that brief moment, I realized that he wasn't there, and then then it would start all over again. However, when I got clean and sober in 2009, July 15th, in Abilene, Texas, at Serenity House, um, when I got to Serenity House here in Abilene in 2009, July 15th, um, worked the steps, and then went into an aftercare, Debbie, three months after that, because I had no social skills didn't know anything about having to learn to live life on life terms or living in my skin. Um, after doing what I was supposed to do in prayer and meditation, chairing meetings, being a, um, a parts of group conscience, uh, this past September, uh, my dad was, was called home. And um, how I dealt with that is uh, going into the rooms and asking people, sharing what was going on in my life, not only with the sponsor, with the, the, the people. And um, and they let me know how they went through it. And, of course, when you mention something like that, you, you um, people w- want to talk and, and help out, um, or at least at, at Open Door here at, at Abilene, on, try to, on uh, trying to help you out. And so that's how I dealt with it. And, uh, look, Debbie, does that... I would be lying to you like the other day, a Purina uh, commercial come on, and my dad retired for Cheryl Chemical, and they went. he always wanted a ranch, and that's what he accomplished. And that Purina commercial and that cattle, you know, that brought back memories uh, back immediately because that was kind of feedy, fed his cattle, and, of course, I went to pieces. But, Debbie, um, this is just my experience. Was I hurting at that point in time? Yes, ma'am. But because of what I've learned in AA and and uh, the 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 solution instead of living in the problem, I don't want to go change the way I feel with some substance of any kind. And I'm very grateful for that. But uh, how I dealt with it was I talked to people in the rooms and then and then even worked, boy. When I get like that, I even work on my relationship with God that much uh, harder. So that that's my little story there. How do you feel the, the difference was when your grandfather passed away and when your father passed away? Were you able to table that pain by staying high, or was it there anyway? Debbie, I was stuck. That, that my grandfather taught me how to fish, 
and we were close. I grew up in Deer Park, which is on the outside, out southeast side of Houston in Liberty, Texas, where they live, wasn't an hour drive away. And and he was actually brought to Methodist Hospital where I was born in Houston because of his kidneys. Uh, it was a rare kidney disease. And so to be only that that close to him and to be the and with with three sisters i don't wasn't raised with any brothers everybody went and saw him and except me i felt so guilty about that that uh when he was when, when he passed away i just couldn't cope so um I, I mean i was a horrible mess then so no i couldn't uh, I, I did not want to uh guilt was eating me up and then the loss of my uh grandfather just um I, I went into a million little pieces, and I. Uh, it was a long time, Dad, before I got over that. And really, what what it is for, I forgave myself for that. So, on top of the grieving that you had with the loss of your grandfather that you loved very much, you also had all that guilt and remorse to deal with. So, in essence, getting high caused you a lot more work and a lot more difficulty in coming through that. And we're actually using the substances to make it easier. Is that a good statement? That's a, a perfect and didn't even know it that I was just compounding the problem because I wasn't dealing with any of it. Didn't want to. Really, Debbie didn't know how. Huh. I mean, I was the only boy. I was spoiled, rotten as it was. My parents didn't like seeing me like that, so they were big-time enablers. And um, But, what? yeah, you were right. I didn't, it, it compounded the problem big time, and it was moons before I got over that. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. So, yeah, I found that too. The longer I put it off, the greater the pain became. Yes, exactly. And, uh, and you know, and, and in fact, that happened in 1981. And you know how you're, you're doing a four step and, and you're, you're learning a lot of different things. That was something that come up in 2009 that because the, the, well, I was very fortunate, Debbie, I had some people that really took me underneath their wings here at Serenity House, which today, I guess what we'll talk about, how to, the next little thing you want to talk about, telling my story up here, I'm still in the loop up there doing fist steps. They they knew there was other stuff bothering me and they kept going, Mark, what was there, is there some some other stuff that might have happened? And then I brought that up and then, then we went through that little process. I was, that was still something that was messing me up on, on letting me grow in my recovery, something that happened way back in 1981 and here I was in 2009. Huh, kind of, kind of scary. I'm glad I, I was able to, to to process that out. You had that difference of experiences when your father passed away, and then you had some tools under your belt, and you've seen other people go through this type of thing. Exactly. I mean, um, we were there. My dad had a a heart valve transplant and a single bypass that they wanted to do since he was already opened up like that and we got him in ICU and and uh, that happened in Providence Hospital Debbie and I made it back to Abilene and uh, I wasn't home 45 minutes and my oldest sister called and said Mark I don't want to alarm baby come back and um, so anyhow we were all right there and basically just saw him ripped away and um um the neatest thing, of course, when I left to go back, I let some some of my little circle of close knit friends know what was going on, and Debbie was amazing. All the way on the drive back to Providence Hospital, the the phone calls that I got, and while I was there, people checking on me, a completely different ordeal. <clears throat> 
than what I went through with my grandfather. I had a support group there. I guess what I'm trying to spit out. And, uh, because I was fragile, only boy, and the writing was on the wall. I, I heard Mimi's voice when she called me. I knew my dad was in a whole lot of trouble. Yeah, yeah. Mark, thank you so much for sharing all that with us. We're gonna go to we're gonna go to Georgia in Arizona. Georgia, welcome to Sober in the City. Hi, Debbie. Thank you so much for having me. Our pleasure. You hear us talking about grief and relapse. Do you have any experience with going through some? grieving process while you're in recovery? How did you handle it? Did you go through it without recovery? Tell us what's going on. Um, well, first off, I can totally relate to um, what you said, Edmar. Um, my, you know, I have a lot of different issues. My dad was killed in, in when I was very young in Vietnam. Um, my sister was murdered. Uh in 1987 and you know I was using them and I did the exact same thing I woke up every morning hating life I had like you guys talked about survivor guilt I thought it should have been me and it really spurred me into using more so um, however on the other hand I did go into a treatment center where they had groups that were PTSD, post-traumatic stress. And, you know, um, that was a a post-traumatic stress issue for me. And I I have a couple of other ones that, like Mark said, I wasn't even aware of. So I needed a lot of help because I, too, never learned to, to grieve or do any of that properly. We didn't talk about those things in my family. When my father got killed, we didn't talk about it. Um, when my sister got murdered, we didn't talk about it. And um, I'm one of those people that I need to talk about it. I know that now. But it's been a really long process, um, you know, of learning to heal. And like you said, I, you know, I have so, I know so many people. And when you know so many people, you lose a lot of people and um, especially in the rooms like they say you know you need to get a good suit for weddings and funerals and I've been to a lot more funerals I really was totally different than I did when I was using and I really had to run uh, like you had said um, the pain of using got to be more scary than the pain of going through these issues that, you know, it says in the big book, we let, we let our, you know, things pile up until they seem uh, insurmountable. And that's really where I was at. I had let all this stuff that I had never dealt with just build up and build up. And I was just prolonging everything. It's going to come out sooner or later, but I had to get sober to really work on that and face that. Well, um, my mother died a few years ago, and I did go to uh, a grief group for that, and I've tried to get into that so that I don't stuff my feelings. I do need a lot of help. Give us a tool. What was the number one thing you think helped you through? What tool did they give you to do? Um, watching other people go through it. 
Um, I have a God in my life today, and uh, I look at death differently. I, I, you know, um, people come and go, and, you know, I'm still here for whatever reason, and I have to go on with life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, now I embrace the time that I had with somebody instead of thinking that, you know, I needed more time. It's, it's still very hard. I have some adult issues around my mom's death because I didn't get to see her um, at the very end. And, um, you know, I talk about that, and I realize that, you know, there's, there's uh, still more will be revealed. Actually, my sister um, that got told 27 years ago, the guy that did it was going to be tried in California, um, this year, finally, uh, for seven women. And so that just came up this year. I mean, he's been in prison for 17 years, but I still get to deal with stuff around that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not as bad. Um, I've accepted it and I do, uh, I do, I, I need to feel it. You know, they say you got to feel it to heal it. Right. Well, all those years using, I was not allowing myself to go through that. And it's really more the fear of the pain than the pain. Because I think really now I know being sober and going through a friend killing herself, two friends, you know, just on and on and on. I, I won't even go into that. That, um, you know, I, I walked through that at the time. I don't, you know, I have to face all that stuff and um, deal with it right here, right now. It, I think God really uh, just gives me the strength to walk through these things. It, it's a lot easier to not numb out. And that's hard for anybody that's doing that to even understand that uh, I deal with things as they come. I hope I do. I try to. I have to really make myself do that. It sounds like you're having a healthy journey, and that's an awful lot. That That's an awful lot. We're going to go to Andrea in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Welcome to Sober in the City, Andrea. Thank you. I really am getting a lot out of what I've heard. It's a tough topic today. I'm having a hard time with it and thinking about a lot of the um, uh, grief and people that I've lost, and none of this is easy. Can you share your experience, and hopefully you have some tools that you've used to stay sober through these situations that you can share with other people? Maybe they can relate to what you've been through and and do what you did to stay sober through it. Hopefully you did. Yeah, definitely. Um uh, back in 2004, <clears throat> I should say I've been sober since July 5th, 1986. And for that, I'm truly grateful. I credit all that to God and the program. But um, in 2004, I had 18 years sober, and my first husband um, relapsed after 12 years, and it resulted in him committing suicide. And... I really thought, you know, he was a rock, and I thought that, you know, people don't relapse, and he did, and it blew me away. Um, Right behind that, I had a series of probably 15 different deaths in the next five years that were very close to me, 
two of them were my grandchildren. And um, some people in recovery, uh, they're just some random ones. I had a friend that was driving down the road and choked to death on a granola bar. Another young man I knew, 21, choked to death on an apple at home in his apartment. So it wasn't like somebody dying from a long death like cancer or something. It was just random. And it blew me away. And I had so much death going on that it was like a never-ending tsunami of grief. And I could not... It's like I was trying to get up over the wave long enough to catch my breath and I would get slammed back down under the wave. And the only thing that held me together was my sponsor, a close network of friends in AA. And I don't mean acquaintances who pat you on the back and tell you, oh, you know, hang in there, it'll be okay. I mean the ones that you can call at three in the morning when you're falling apart and there's nowhere to go. And I had a handful of them. And those people carried me literally through. Um, one the most devastating moment in, that I remember in my life and my recovery is when I watched my grandson die. And I could not... I stood there and begged God to take me and not him. And when God didn't take me and not him, I... It just ripped everything inside of me to pieces. And I took off driving down the road after all of it, trying to make sense of it. Found myself on the side of a road that I knew from younger years where there's a cliff that you can drive off of and I would slam into the river. And I was on the shoulder next to it and I heard my sponsor's voice in my phone. And apparently in the middle of this emotional mess that I was in, I had called her and she's saying, you're not going to hurt yourself, right? And I said, no. Apparently I had called her. I I was so emotionally messed up. It was almost like an emotional blackout. I didn't relapse at all. But I was just so mentally and emotionally wrecked out by then. If I had not had my sponsor on the end of the phone, if she hadn't picked the phone up, I probably wouldn't be here today because I know the road that I was driving down. I was going to go drive over that cliff. And it's not that I wanted to use. I didn't want to use. I just wanted the pain to stop. And there had been so many people dying around me that I could not, I couldn't stop to grieve, much less think. And... I did not need people telling me, well, there's five steps to the grief process. (laughs) I didn't need people telling me what I should be feeling. I didn't need people telling me, sorry for your loss. I just needed someone there, whether it was two in the morning, whether it was just to come over and sit and say nothing to me because I didn't know how to verbalize anything, whatever. I just needed someone there physically even on the end of the phone. And that's what my sponsor gave me, and that's what a, a close-knit group of friends that I had built up over the years in support did for me. Um, there, I, What I learned through all that is grief has no timeline. There are days that I get up today and, and something will remind me of, of my grandson, and I just burst into tears. That was back in 2008. 
this is 2014. Some people would say, well, you should be over that already. Well, who says? Who wrote the book on grief? You know, um, nobody has the right to judge how I grieve. Tools that I've used, AA, my, my meetings, my sponsor, definitely my relationship with God. I'm an artist and a poet, so I write poetry, I have a blog, I um, paint, draw, whatever it is that I can release this grief or whatever feelings I'm having, I do. The other thing that I've found is the best way to ride through the feelings I'm having, not get over them, but ride through them, is to reach out to for example, my other grandchildren who are living and need someone. So I learned that from my, my recovery, to be of service. Sometimes being of service isn't just sitting in a meeting and talking to other alcoholics. Sometimes it's being of service to the people in my family. So those kinds of things have helped me to walk through it. Well, I think... The fact that you had been in recovery for some time and you had already built that reflex of calling your sponsor, you were in an emotional blackout. Those are real. You are not present and you are not in your right mind. And your reflex, your instant reaction was to get that sponsor on the phone. And I can totally relate to what you were talking about when I was going through this with my fiance dying, that I just wanted somebody there. They didn't have to talk. They didn't have to try to fix it. They didn't have to look for the right words to say. They just needed to be present. I just needed another human being sitting in the same room as me. And even and if they couldn't be there to just be on that phone line and just sit there and not say anything, just somebody was present. Somebody was there with me. You related to that, yes? Yeah, definitely. Most recently, in January of this year, my fiance's sister died to, due to an overdose. And I had tried to 12-step her. And it just, being knowing what I know and what I've been through, just being able to walk through it, there wasn't a lot, there's no amount of words that I could say to anybody in a family when they've lost someone. But just being able to be there, be present, and be able to, like, wash the dishes because nobody's you know it's nobody's, nobody's interested in them do that mm-hmm. nope. <laughs> yeah you know it you're emotionally devastated to the point you can't think straight so just to do the little things for them and yep. to be able to give back that way because yep. i know what that feels like to help them function um, absolutely and, and so important yeah. so important that in your uh, earlier recovery you had built all those resources and had all those people around you so that you were ready oh, for something when it came up okay um mark georgia and andrea thank you so much for sharing everything that you did and 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 i'm so sorry for your grandfather your father your sister husband grandkids friends i mean jesus the loss just never stops sober in the city will be right back and just because you don't know what's on the other side does not mean that it's not a good thing we'll be right back are you a suffering addict or alcoholic is someone you know struggling with this disease Let the Freedom From Addiction Foundation assist you with our acclaimed intervention and recovery coaching services. For a very affordable fee, we can set up and perform on-site interventions, ongoing treatment supervision, and personalized recovery and life coaching services. 
We are local, we are a nonprofit group, and we can work within your financial parameters by accepting most major credit cards and working with or without your insurance. Call today, 1-877-876-2329. Again, that's 1-877-876-2329. Are you a suffering addict or alcoholic? Is someone you know struggling with this disease? Recovery starts with one phone call. Call the Freedom From Addiction Foundation today. 877-876-2329. At Believe Treatment Center, we understand. We understand you are struggling. That's why our treatment nourishes mind, body, and spirit. We understand that recovery works differently for everyone. That's why we design individual treatment programs specifically for you. At Believe Treatment Center, we understand that it's not easy. That's why we offer a comprehensive scope of services, including nutrition, massage, chiropractic, and aftercare for you and even for your family. Believe Treatment Center is a 12-step friendly, state-of-the-art facility located in gorgeous Palm Beach County, Florida. We are experts in all types of addiction and recovery, and we are proud sponsors of Sober in the City. To find out more about our program and how your insurance may cover your treatment, call us today at 1-855-874-2354. That's 855-874-2354. 1-855-874-2354. Or visit BelieveTreatmentCenter.com. Believe Treatment Center. We understand. Young people everywhere are making a difference. Special Olympics has changed my life so dramatically. It's helped me a lot to be fearless, you know, in the real world. My friends I've made through Special Olympics are the best people I've ever met in my life. I truly realize that what I'm doing is for a great cause. And it's not about disabilities, but it's about celebrating their abilities. I've made a difference. Now it's your turn to make a difference. Get involved at specialolympics.org. 